You know, we've been studying <coughs> Romans chapter 8, and chapter 8 is a chapter about the Spirit. Thank you, the Holy Spirit. The whole chapter is about life in the Spirit. And all those early verses in the chapter talk about the differences between the Spirit and the flesh and whatever, and so on. And then Paul gets down to kind of the nitty-gritty, and we're in the middle of that right now. And he talks about the tough spots of life. When life gets hard, or when life gets impossible, or when you just have one of those waves of trouble hit you that just knock you down. How many of you have ever surfed or body surfed in the ocean? See any hands? <laughs> I'm sorry I brought that up, Peggy. <laughs> I apologize. I reminded her of Florida. That's a no-no. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, and what happens when you miss, you know? You get tumbled around in the waves and the sand, and you end up a little rug burn from the bottom of the ocean. It's not a rug either, and it's a little sharper, and, and all that kind of stuff. And you just get slammed by a wave of life, and you kind of come up sputtering and, and trying to cough out the water and, what happened to me? And Paul says those things are coming along. No one gets out of here alive. No one gets out unscathed. Trouble comes to every life in some way or another. And so Paul says, what does it look like to live life in the Spirit when trouble comes? What, how do you handle that? How does that look? And he says... Last week, the verses we were looking at, verses 18 through 25, Paul says, the first thing I want you to realize is, nothing you go through here can even compare to the weight of glory that God has in your future. Now, Paul, as we said, is not downplaying in any way the reality of the hard moment. He's not trying to smooth it over and gloss it over, you know, don't worry, be happy, that kind of thing. But he's simply saying no matter how bad it gets, no matter how tough it gets, no matter how hard life hits you, there is nothing you will face in this present time that you can even talk about in the same breath with the glory that God has prepared. And James says our lives, what is life? It's but a vapor, a wisp of smoke. He's not talking about its substance, he's talking about its brevity. It, it's just gone, and like a wisp of smoke. This time on earth passes quickly, no matter how old you live. But eternity is forever. And it has no problems. And so Paul says, just on that score, how can you compare? I mean, here you've got, you know... 50, 60, 80, 90, 100 years, maybe. And there you have forever with no problems. How can you compare that? So the first thing he says that we need to deal with in recognizing the troubles of life is this is going to be over, that is going to be forever, and you can't even compare the two in the same breath. But you know what? We can only handle so much pie in the sky. And I don't mean to trivialize Paul's statement in there, but it's one thing to come to a person who's, you know, 25 years old and suffering one of the greatest heartaches of their life, 
and say, you know what, someday when you go to heaven, it's all going to be better. It's like, yeah, but I'm concerned about right now. You know, I've got to deal with this moment. And Paul doesn't leave us without help in the moment. And that's where verses 26 through 30 comes in, because he says, there are things that God promises and God does even now in the moment, in the crisis, that you can count on that should give you encouragement and blessing and should uplift you. There are many things that God does, but Paul names three of them. He says, first of all, he helps you pray and prays for you when you don't know how to pray. He says, secondly, there is no wasted experience. There's nothing that happens to you that is just a, a, a useless waste of your life. Everything that happens in your life, God can use. And thirdly, he says, God has got a plan. God is on a mission. He is leading you, taking you somewhere. And you can count on it. No matter how dismal it looks today, you can count on where God is going with you. And we're not talking now about glory and, and eternal salvation and the future of the church. We're talking about you. Paul personalizes it. He brings it down to the individual for whom he foreknew. Individual. God is going somewhere with you. He has a plan for you. Not to sound trite with that statement. You know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's not that. It's God is on a mission to make you into something. And he's not quitting until it's done. So I want to go back and look at those this morning. When we're in the trouble, the sadness, the failure, you know, when we come up sputtering and gasping for breath from one of life's hard hits, what can we count on? Paul says in the same way, the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. Because we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings and utterings too deep for words, for, too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now let's go back and take that apart. When we're in trouble, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. In fact, he prays for us. Have you ever been to a spot in your life where you don't know how to pray? You know, the, I come to those spots. There's really at least in my mind, there's two different kinds of I don't know how to pray. The one kind is you've been hit so hard you're speechless. I mean, you don't even know what to say. I, it's interesting to me that whenever, that I'm talking about my personal experience now, not all of you have had this experience. But my personal experience is I'm the pastor. And so whenever I'm in a group, you know, and somebody's looking for somebody to lead the blessing, they call on the pastor to lead the prayer, you know? Like, I'm the only one that can connect or something. I don't know how it is. Or maybe it's, I, I don't know what goes through people's mind. You know, praying is an everybody thing, but, but that's, I think that's one of those Catholic hangovers from the Middle Ages. But anyhow, like, I've always got words, you know? I always know how to pray. Friends, there are times I don't know how to pray. I mean, I can handle the food, usually, but, but, 
There's times in life when I do not know what to say. I, I'm speechless before God. You know, I, I just, I hurt, I ache, but I don't have words. It's just one of those life slams that just leaves you speechless and breathless. Those are times when we don't know how to pray. Life hits you so hard, you just don't know where to start. But there's another sense in which we don't know how to pray, and that is we don't know how to pray as we ought. I mean, we got lots of things we want to pray, but they may or may not be the things that God wants to do. And there's nothing wrong with going to God and telling him what you want, but understand, God is a loving parent. He is not going to give you everything you want. Just shift down a few notches, okay, put yourself in the parent role. Imagine your kids when they were about five years old. For some of you, that's deep, digging deeply into the recesses of memory, but, but conjure that image up of a five-year-old, you know, grandkids, whatever, saying, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have whatever you want in the kitchen. What are they going to go for? They're going to get out the vegetables and, you know, go for the veggies, right? I don't think so. You know, cookies, yeah, cake, ice cream, you know, what? Kids don't know what they want. Well, they know what they want, but they don't know what they need. Why, why do we look at that and find it amusing, you know? We, we find these, you know, children, they, they just, they want everything that their eyes see and their tongue can imagine, you know, and, and they just, they want to touch and sample everything, and as long as they don't make us too crazy, we normally can keep a smile on our face while we gently guide them out of harm's way and, you know, ice cream overdoses and those kinds of things, because we know in our wisdom that is not good for them. They need a balanced diet. They don't need to put their fingers in light sockets. They don't need to jump off the second-story balcony to see if their Batman you know, suit works. There are things we have to prevent them from doing in our wisdom, even though they want to. Now, ratchet that back up to God. The infinite, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, God who made us. And we're going to God saying, I'd like this. And God looks at us with kind of a smile on his face and says, if I give you that, you're going to self-destruct. I'm not going to give that to you. I love you too much. I, I hear you. I understand your heart. But we got to go have some veggies here. Because I want you to develop. I want you to grow up. Adults are like that with God. We cannot come to an equal par with God and say, you know what, God, I've got the divine perspective now. i got this figured out. I've grown up. So why don't we be buds, and I'll just tell you, and you just do what I say. We don't know how to pray. Sometimes in life we don't know what to ask for. and We go around banging on doors that if God opens them, we're going to rush headlong to our doom. And so we hit those conundrums of life. We hit those hard places and we say, I don't know where to go from here. None of us want pain. None of us want trouble in our lives. None of us want hard times. None of us want to lose a job. None of us want to be in a crisis. But sometimes God uses the roadblocks of life to steer us 
in a much better direction. And we don't know how to pray for that. We, we come to God and we say, I, I, this is what I think I want, but I don't know. And Paul says when we come to those moments in life where we're either just breathless and speechless because we've been hit so hard, or we're confused, or we're headed in the wrong direction, or we want things that are not necessarily the best for us, that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. Now I want you to know that this does not say there's anything we have to do. It does not rely on our, you know, plugging in a formula and saying, okay, God, I'm in one of those moments when I don't know what to do, so I need the Holy Spirit to pray. No, the Holy Spirit who's living in us automatically is praying for us. Have you ever, have you ever phoned in a prayer request and wondered if anybody was praying? What happens to those emails, really? You know, have you ever wondered, do they just read it with a curious wonder? Or do people pray when they get those emails? What happens when the prayer chain request goes out? What happens when I call and ask for prayer? But I want to tell you this morning that Paul says the Holy Spirit is always praying for you. You don't have to ask him. You don't have to send out an email request. He's always praying for you. And he's searching out your situation. And Paul wants to make this intimate. He wants to bring it home to us. The one who's living in us. God the Spirit who is indwelling us. Who knows us inside and out. Who understands our thoughts. Who feels our pain. Who experiences our grief. Who knows where we are. I am not going to leave you comfortless, Jesus said. I will give you another comforter. Even the Spirit of truth. And he himself who has been with you, will be in you. He is the one who is living in us, praying for us, interceding for us, all the time, no matter what crisis we're in. And Paul says he does so with groanings and utterings too deep for words. Now, all kind of people uh, have, have made all sorts of issues over this verse. You know, some have said, well... Okay, this is the point in life where we come to we're just kind of rolling around on the floor, moaning and groaning. I, I, I guess he's probably with Jesus now and probably won't hear this on the internet at any time. But I, I worked with a pastor one time when I was just starting out, and um, he was he was a dear brother and he loved the Lord with all his heart and he really really meant well. But he was the most interesting guy to, p- to pray with. Because even though he talked like a normal person most of the time, when it came to praying, he had just a certain way of saying, God, God. And I thought, wow, okay, is that how you're supposed to talk to God? No, I knew better than that. But then when we would be praying, he would moan. I'm What are you doing? You know, it sounded like a dying calf. And it just and he would moan all through the prayers, and I'm thinking, does he think this is Romans eight twenty six that he's supposed to moan when he prays? That's not what this verse means. You may be moaning, you may be groaning, you may not be even able to pray in your pain, and it may be hard for you. 
And if you are, that's okay. But this says the spirit is groaning with groanings and utterings too deep for words. This is what the spirit is doing in us to the Father. Another misconception is, is that this verse is talking about praying in tongues. And I, and I have friends who say whenever I don't know how to pray or what to say, I, I pray in my prayer language. Well, that's okay, but this verse is not talking about that. Because it says groanings and utterings too deep for words. Tongues are words. It's another language. It's words. But this is too deep for words. In fact, the Greek word is ahlaleo, meaning without speech. There's nothing to say in any language. Angels, men, or me, there's nothing to say. The Holy Spirit is praying through me with groanings and utterings too deep for words. And what is he doing? He is praying for me and making intercession for me. Verse 27 says, he who searches the hearts, who is that? In the Old Testament, we learn that it is God who searches the hearts. Try me and know me, David says, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Or the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to, to discover those whose hearts are turned toward him. All through the Old Testament scriptures, we have the picture of God searching the heart. So I want you to catch this imagery, because here's the triune God. What does the Bible say about Jesus when he, when he ascended? He ascended to the right hand of the Father... All things are under his feet. He's in the position of authority and power. And what does the Bible say? He ever lives to make intercession for me. So Jesus is sitting at the Father's right hand praying for me. All the time. You don't have to ask him either. He's always doing that. Personally. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is in me praying for me. Intimate with my thoughts. Intimate with my heart. Intimate with my mind. Knowing my situation. He's praying for me. And now the Father is searching my heart. The Father is looking at me. He loves me. I, I'm, according to the Scripture, the apple of His eye. He loves me. He, he has me in His focus. He's giving me His attention. And He who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit. As the Spirit prays, God perfectly understands. And the Holy Spirit is interceding according to the will of the Father. Jesus is interceding according to the will of the Father. And, and we're all together, the triune God is praying for me. So I want you to know, if there's not another human being on the planet that has ever prayed for you, you still have a prayer support team. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when you don't know what to say or what to do, the Holy Spirit always prays for you according to the will of the Father. He always asks the right thing. The, Ho the Holy Spirit is always understanding my circumstances and praying for me with intimate awareness of my need and the will of God. And the Lord Jesus is interceding for me. And I have this incredible prayer team praying for me when I don't know how to pray. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the first thing we need to recognize when we're in the midst of trouble, according to Paul, is you are never alone. You are never without prayer support. You are never without a team, including the triune God, 
who on your side is praying on your behalf for his perfect will to be accomplished. Isn't that incredible? Whether you're at your wit's end and you don't know what to say, or whether you're asking for stupid things, you know, that are going to harm you, or whether you're in a, in a quandary and you're confused and you don't know how to ask, you, you, got, you don't know which direction to take, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And I'm not saying that it all remains subterranean and quiet. I mean, the, as you wait upon the Lord, eventually he may make those things known to you. He may bring those up. He may show you. But before you get there, he's praying for you. Then Paul says the second thing that you need to really take to heart is found in verse 28. And God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. This verse has given believers a lot of trouble. And it usually gets a bad rap because some insensitive person quotes it at precisely the wrong time. You know, through my pastoral ministry, again, this happens to me more often than most of you, I get a call to go to the ER, emergency room, to meet with a family. When you're called to the emergency room, it's never good. I get a call to come into a family crisis. I get a call to tell me that someone has just died. You know, and I want to I want to give you true confessions. I have never quoted Romans 8:28 to anyone upon first contacting them in those circumstances. You know why? Because it doesn't help. Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus did what? He said, "You know what? Mary and Martha, what's wrong with you? Don't you believe in God? I mean, come on. I'm about to call him out of the grave. Man, get with it. This has happened for your benefit. You know, he cried with them. The Son of God who knew that he was going to call Lazarus out of the tomb, shortest verse in the Bible, but don't forget it because it's filled with richness. He, Jesus, wept. He shared their grief first. Then he called Lazarus out of the grave. And then they probably sat down and he explained to them what he had said, I am the resurrection and the life. But you don't quote Romans 8.28 when someone's just been cut open by life and they're still bleeding in the street. But I want to tell you something, friend, this morning. If you're not in the midst of one of those heart-wrenching crises, this is the time to get this truth built into your heart. So that when life slams you hard, you don't have to have anybody else come in and tell you this. You have the Holy Spirit of God reminding you. It's not over. It's not all lost. It's not the end of the world. I'm on the throne. And I will bring good. And here's an amazing promise. God causes all things to work together for good. Now, the second part that often gets misunderstood is God causes all things. Some people stop there and stutter before they move on. 
And I want you to know, God is not the cause of all things. God did not cause Adam and Eve to sin, and he doesn't cause sinful things to happen. God is not the cause of sin. And sin often, in fact, always reaps great pain and death. But God is not the cause of sin. That does not mean he's not in charge. It doesn't mean he isn't in control or that he's lost power somehow. But we do need to recognize that when tragedy strikes, and and sometimes it comes directly as a consequence of someone's sin, that God is not the causative agent in the sinful event. But as he sits sovereignly upon the throne, it is as though Paul is saying, nothing takes him by surprise. This didn't catch him off guard. God did not, you know, suddenly lurch forward in the throne and go, oh my goodness. He, that never happens with God. He knows. And he's got it in control and he can hold me tight, and he's going to keep me safe, safe in him. And his promise is he causes all things to work together for good. Now that's a hard pill for some people to swallow. Because they come to something in life and it just makes them angry. And, and they, don't, they don't want it to work out. I mean, they just want to stew in their frustration. They're ticked off. But the scripture says if we bring every situation in life, you know, and lay it at his feet and trust him, he is able to work it out for our benefit. Now, some people want to limit the extent of this verse. God causes all things. What things are we talking about? Well, we're talking about bad things other people do. We're talking about the way the boss treats us. We're talking about, you know, that stupid person I married. You know, we're talking about, you know, the, the, the other. But my own sin, what about my sin? Can God even make my sin work together for good? Well, what does it say? God causes most things to work together for good. God causes some things to work together for good. It says God causes all things to work together for good. Friends, there's nothing that happens in your life, even at your own hand, that when you bring the broken pieces to God and put them at his feet, he cannot resurrect them and redeem them in some way for your good, who are the called according to his purpose. God causes those things to work together for good. There are no wasted experiences in life there are no unrecoverable failures. There are no utterly hopeless situations. You never need to come to the end of your life prematurely and just say, I'm done with it all, I'm checking out, because life has become meaningless and hopeless and I can't, I can't ever recover from this. God causes all things to work together for good. He doesn't just promise to, to kind of somehow get you going again. He says you will benefit from the experience to work for good. You will benefit from the experience. That's amazing. That is amazing. That we have a God and we can bring the broken pieces of our lives and put them in his lap. And he says, 
I will put this back together in a way that will bless you. And, and it will be used in your life. Do you believe that? Do you really? Have you taken that to heart? Can you trust God for that? Friends, he's faithful. Paul says this is one of the encouragements we have when life slams us. There's nothing wasted. You know, 20 years of marriage ends in divorce. Broken, humiliated, deserted, frustrated. God's on the throne. 15 years as an alcoholic. God's on the throne. I wasn't paying attention. I crossed the line and had a wreck and killed someone. God's on the throne. I lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to get any more work. God's on the throne. And nothing that happens is beyond his capacity to use in your life for good. Now, you need to get that down today, okay? Because you're not going to naturally think that way when life hits you. I had a band director, and he used to always say, because we, we would do marching drill, getting ready for marching season and halftime shows and whatever, and we were a state championship band. I mean, we were AAA in the state of Florida, and we were, we were the number one band, marching band in the state of Florida for years running. I had the privilege of being in the band during those years and being a drum major and and, and marching with Florida's number one band. And our band director used to say to us, you do under pressure what you're most used to doing. <laughs> so we're going to drill, and 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 we're going to drill until you can do this asleep. We're going to drill until this just comes out of you. We're going to drill until, until somebody next to you can pass out and fall on the ground, and, and you know you, your feet just keep doing the right thing. We'll take care of them. We're going to drill because you do under pressure what you're most used to doing. Friends, get this down today. So the next wave of life that hits you, you know God is in charge. God is on the throne. God can put it together. God is not overwhelmed. You didn't catch him asleep. He works it out, and it will bless you. Somehow, some way, when you get out of the immediate hurt, God will recover and bless your life. It's possible. And then the third thing that Paul says is, God's on a mission in your life. Not only will he pray for you, not only will he take your broken pieces and restore your life. I didn't say he'd restore all the damage from broken stuff. Sometimes there are those consequences, but God will restore you in the midst of it. But the third thing Paul says is God is on a mission. He set out to do something. And friends, when God sets out to do something, it gets done. Because he has all the power. You know, I could promise you the world today. I could promise you anything. But you know the problem with that is? If I promise to bail you out of a crisis, financial crisis, I could go broke before you do. If I promise to hold you up in a tough situation physically, I could get weak and fail before you do. 
If I promise to go before the authorities and, and do something on your behalf, I might get overruled. I don't have any power. But God has all the power. When God says, I am going to do something, he is going to do it, and nothing's going to stop him. And here's what he says. For, this is in the context of praying for you and working the problems out for your good. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That's his mission. Whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. God is determined to make you look like Jesus. He is determined to bring you safely to his heavenly kingdom. He is determined to restructure and reframe your life so that you manifest the glory of saints of God. He's not giving up on that. Now, a lot of people get hung up here on the predestination aspect. And, and you have, you know, the theologians get aside in their little theological enclaves, and they have these discussions. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, did, did God predestine people because he foreknew what their choice would be? Uh, did God foreknow what their choice would be because he predestined them ahead of time? And then you get these really bright theologians, and they say, you know what? God does not do things sequentially like that because he's God, and he knows everything at once. And so uh, we can't talk about uh, linear one after the other happenings with God because God, you know, it gets all taken care of. And one, I know it's about 90% of you don't care at all about this, okay, but there's about 10 people here that do. And so I've got I to gotta touch this just for those 10, you know. And they, they say, you know, so this all happens at once in the mind of God because he's God and, and, and this is how it, comes down and the foreknowledge is the same as causative, effective election. All right, let me help you out with this. You and I are never going to understand God completely, okay? We're never going to understand God. In order to fully comprehend God, you'd have to be God. So you're never going to go there. So what God does is, he brings his incredible omniscience down to our level. His transcendence down to our level. And he says, let me lay this out for you in terms you can understand. Our thinking is linear. His is instantaneous and simultaneous. But our thinking is linear. So he says, for your benefit, I'll tell you how it works. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. God looks down through the course of human history and he knows who will respond to his gospel. And their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, guess when? Before the foundation of the world. Does that mean something to you? That means a lot to me. My name, it was in that book before Adam was made. Because God knows everything and he knew that one day at the age of seven, in 1960, Paul Martin would walk down the steps of a stadium onto a field at a Billy Graham crusade and invite Jesus Christ into his heart to be his Savior and Lord. God knew that. And I was elected and written in the book. 
You know, and I know that because God reveals his heart to me when he says, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. You know, that's either true or it's a lie, and God doesn't lie. So if it's true, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He did not elect people to go to hell just so he could show what a great wrathful God he is. God never did that. That happens, and God will get glory out of it, in spite of it. But he tells me his heart. And he says, when I look through human history, I see what I see, and I know who will respond. Those I have elected, I have predestined them. Now, don't go back and try to figure out how God did that, because you are not going to get that. But here's what he tells me. And whom he predestined, he predestined them to become conformed to the image of his son. He says, I'm going to make you look like Jesus, your elder brother. That's my goal in your life. I'm going to do that. And so Paul steps back and he says, and whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. It's interesting, it's all in the past tense, because the last one hasn't really happened yet. But as far as God's concerned, it's a done deal. Whom he predestined, he called. What does that mean? That means when the gospel was preached, my name is in the book of life, the Holy Spirit is at work, and and I am sitting there listening, and the Holy Spirit, I don't know what's going on with the other people, and that's not my problem. You can talk about effectual calling, those of you that are Presbyterian background, you can talk about effectual calling, that's fine. I believe that. Because it was effective, it worked for me. It was effective, it was powerful in my life. God called me and I responded. I don't know what's going on with the rest, and that's up to God, that's his deal. I don't question him. But what I do know is, my name was in that book of life, and when that gospel was preached in my presence, in time and space history, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and enabled me to believe by faith, and I responded to God. He called me, and when he called me, he justified me. He made me perfectly clean in the eyes of his presence because of the blood of Jesus Christ that covers my sin. And having been a blood-bought, born-again, justified, called child of God, predetermined to, to look like Jesus to the image of his glory, predestined to that goal, God says, Paul says through uh, the Holy Spirit, he glorified like it's already over. I'm not glorified yet. If you don't believe that, just talk to my wife. But I will be. I will be. Because God has said it. I will be glorified. He's going to bring me there. And there is nothing that hits me in life that is going to stop the purposes of God for my eternal destiny. And so we have these three promises, friends. The first section said when you're in tough times, the the present turmoil and trials that we face are not to be compared to the weight of glory. Okay, that gives me a vision of the future and hope out there. But what about right now? All right, when you're in the midst of the trials, I'm praying for you. My spirit is in you interceding. In the midst of the trials, be assured, nothing will ever happen that I will not work out for good in your life. I will bless you. I will bless you. 
and I am determined to bring you safely to my kingdom, and you will look like Jesus, and you will be glorified, and I will celebrate your presence with me in glory. That is a done deal. It is finished in Jesus Christ. You can bank on it. I'm about that business, and I will not be thwarted. Praise God. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? These are not platitudes. They're not trite answers. They're not quick fixes. But they're solid, faith-building convictions that you'll get through life and you'll be okay because God is on your side. Oh, you know what? That's next. <laughs> that, that's a future message. It's right there in Romans 8. If you don't know it, it's coming up. If God is for us, who can be against us? He that delivered up his own son freely for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one who can say this. Oh man, that's coming. But just take home today. He's praying for you. He's working things out for your benefit. He's going to make you look like Jesus. And he's not going to give up. Father, thank you for your promises and for your word. We bless you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. And, and Lord, there's people in our midst right today, members of our congregation, that are going through some tough times. And I'm thinking of one, one situation, a, a couple, they're, they're just, oh man, they're in a hard place real slam of life. Oh God, give encouragement. Please bless. Please minister. Teach us to trust you. Build our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.